It's a great joy to welcome all of y'all here today, and we are particularly pleased that we have Chris Singleton with us. Chris is in great demand as a speaker all around the country, and so having him with us at St. Philip's today is a great privilege. And I hope most of you were able to read a little bit of his story and the biography that we sent out. Uh, But for those who uh, were not familiar, Chris uh, was grown up in Goose Creek and Charleston uh, playing baseball and doing all the things that a normal student does during that time period until his life was dramatically changed when his mother was one of the victims uh, in the uh, attacks at Mother Emanuel Church. And Chris was one of the people who helped focus the attention of the world on Charleston by proclaiming in the midst of this dreadful act of hatred, proclaiming a love and forgiveness that was rooted in Jesus Christ. And Chris has gone on living that out. He was... uh, playing baseball for Charleston Southern at the time and then went on to play in the Cubs organization and had a lot of very impressive stats, uh, far better than any baseball than anyone in my family ever accomplished. Uh, But he has felt the Lord calling him to step away from that and to move into a full-time ministry of speaking and sharing his story. And he works with a wide variety of educational institutions, corporations, athletic teams, churches. He's written a number of books. I commend to you his website, um, chrissingleton.com. But probably his greatest accomplishment, uh, he is the proud husband of Mariana and proud father of Caden and CJ, um, and they are uh, here in Charleston as well. So please join me in welcoming Chris Singleton. Thank you, brother. Awesome. Yeah, first, I do want to get this out of the way sometimes when people talk about my baseball career, they look at me, they say, man, you, you're retired? You're kind of young to be retired. That's a really nice way of saying I got cut. That's what that means, all right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've got drafted by the Cubs, but my life is, is totally different. Now I get to be on the road a decent bit, uh, speaking with different companies, different sports teams, um, NFL, NBA, MLB, the whole nine yards. But one of the coolest things in the world that I get to do is serve here in Charleston with the River Dogs. So I get to be the director of community outreach for the team when I'm not on the road. Uh, in doing so, one of my mentors, he said, Chris, you're going to be on the road a lot. You're going to be speaking a lot. One thing you never want to become is a public success but a private failure. He said, when people look at you, they'll see you speak to these NFL teams, NBA teams, or whatever you're doing. But you don't want to be the person that's out there speaking and serving these other people, but you're not serving your own hometown. right? You're not being the best husband that you can be, the best father that you can be. And I know there's a lot of ways that we can value success, but for me... I want to be successful in every aspect of my life. And when my wife hears something good about me, I don't want her to say, yeah, he may be good to somebody else, but he's not good to me and my family. So that's what I pride myself on. So before I get started, I want to share this this, this story. So I'm a young guy. I'm I'm kind of fresh. I'm getting to speak to some pretty big companies like Microsoft, like John Deere, all these massive companies that I would have never imagined I'd speak to. And I'm kind of climbing the ladder of success is what, what we say, right? 
And I saw this, this, this story, and this meant a lot to me because, you know, I was actually headed back uh, from Mexico. I was speaking in Mexico about two weeks ago, and I saw this story, and it was perfect. It's a Mexican pro- uh, fisherman proverb, all right? So y'all follow me. So there was this guy who was super successful in his company. I mean, like, he's crushing it in business, but he's working his behind off. He's working so much that he's getting sick. And so what happens is he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, hey, you, you have to take a break. You, you have to stop working. He's like, I'm not asking you to. You have to. Your health is declining because you're working your behind off. The guy said, okay, you know what? I have to take a break. I'll I'll take a vacation in the middle of nowhere, Mexico. So he does that. He gets there. And obviously the first thing that happens, he gets there, and his phone starts ringing. And it's his company. They're calling him. Hey, we need you to put out another fire. This happened. That happened. What are we going to do? He says, you know what? I wish I could help, but my doctor says I can't work. Hangs up the phone. Now he's stressing out, like, should I have answered? Like, what should I have done? And so he's walking. And as he's walking, he finds this little Mexican fisherman, right? He's in this really small boat. And he sees this guy. And he sees that he was fishing. He's like, okay, man, you got some pretty nice fish in there, two, two pretty big fish. And he asks the guy, he said, how long have you been out here? How long did it take you to catch these two big fish? Guy says, ah, not too long, about 10, 15 minutes. I've been just sitting there chilling afterwards. He's like, so what are you doing now? You going to keep fishing? He's like, no, nah, I got more than I need. I got enough for me. I got enough for my family, so I'll be done. He's like, oh, that's pretty, pretty boring. You, so you're going to be lazy the rest of the day. What are you going to do? He says, no, nah, I got a full life, man. I got a full life. He says, well, what is it? He said, well, after I'm done fishing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home, have lunch with my kids. I go on a date with my wife. Then later on tonight, I'll have a, 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 a beer or some wine and, and start to play the guitar with my friends at night, is what he said. He said, so I got a full life. And he's like, okay, well, you know what? Can I give you some pointers? Now, this is the guy from, you know, corporate America. He's crushing it now. He's like, can I give you some pointers? Mexican fisherman's like, well, of course, you're successful. Like, tell me what I should be doing. He said, number one, you got to work harder. You've been here for 10, 15 minutes. I know you got some fish, right? You did, you did well, but you got to work longer. He says, okay, well, what's next? He says, well, when you work longer, guess what happens? You'll catch more fish. He says, okay, well, that sounds good, but what's next? He says, when you catch more fish, you'll be able to buy a bigger boat. So what he says, after you get your bigger boat, you'll catch more fish, so you'll cut, the, cut out the middleman. You don't need the middleman. You can sell right to everybody here. He's like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. I like that plan. Well, what's next? He says, after you got the bigger boat, you're catching more fish, then you'll have a fleet of boats. You'll have a fleet of them. you have people working for you. You'll be making more money. He says, okay, well, what's next? He said, okay, well, after that, this is where it gets really cool. You ever been to the States? He's like, nah, never been to the States, but I'd always want to go. He says, okay, well, then your company's going to get so big, you move to L.A. or to New York, and you have somebody run it for you. He's like, okay, man, that sounds cool. Well, what's next? He said, this is the really cool part. What happens is, at this time, you can sell your company. You can get millions of dollars, and the coolest thing ever is going to happen. He says, well, what is it? He says, then you can move to the middle of nowhere, Mexico, You can fish a little bit, maybe have lunch with your grandkids, maybe go on a date with your wife. At night, if you're lucky, you can play the guitar with your friends, drink a beer or some wine. The guy said, man, I'm going to do all that just to be right back where I am. I'm living a full life right now. And so I know it's funny, but I, I find myself, you know, always going so hard in everything that I do, being so busy that I, I sometimes give my, my work, my ministry the best of me and the, my family, the rest of me. And I saw this story, and I'm like, man, I don't want to be uh, the guy that does everything just to be right back at square one. 
because I don't want my kids to be 18. My kids, my, my son's four, and my other son is 10 weeks old. I don't want them to be 18 and say, man, dad crushed it, but, you know, he wasn't the best dad to me. So I, I share that with you as a young man that's trying to figure things out, but I hope, hopefully you guys got something from it. Now, I'm going to share my faith real quick, but when I share my faith, I usually don't uh, talk about how I've always been, you know, on fire for, uh, as a believer, right? I think there's sometimes in, in, in our lives we need to hear the real story, right? So I'll give you the real story. So for me, I thought that uh, God was like Santa Claus. I did. I did. I, I, knew, I knew God was real because my mother was always praying. I'm like, she got to be talking to somebody, right? I don't, you know, I don't know who she's talking to, but she's, somebody's got to be up there. But I didn't know. I didn't have a personal relationship. But if you would have asked me when I was a kid, hey, you believe uh, in Jesus, I would have said, I believe. You know, my, my grandmother was always singing, so she's got to be singing about something real, right? But I didn't have a personal relationship, and I was this way for a long time. If you would have asked me if I was a believer, I would have said, yeah, but I didn't have a personal relationship. I was just praying when my pastor was praying, or I was praying my mother would uh, ask me to pray at dinner, or what she would do is she would say, hey, if you remember this scripture, I'll give you $5. So I would remember it real quick and recite it, and she would give me five bucks. That's, that's all that I was in my faith. I didn't have a personal relationship. And this changed for me uh, my freshman year of college. And uh, I'm a person that loves quotes. What I've realized is we're not going to live forever, right? We don't know when our last day is, but if our words are powerful, guess what? They'll stay behind even when we're gone. And so I love to have different quotes in my locker. What I do now with some athletes is I'll send them quotes as I get them. Uh, one of those people is uh, Shaquille O'Neal's son. I just spoke to LSU's basketball team. And every time I feel like a quote would have been good for me in college, I'll send it to him, and he loves it. So... One of my quotes my freshman year that I loved, I was headed to uh, Clemson University. Anybody a Clemson fan? Raise your hand if you're a Clemson fan. A couple Clemson fans. I thought we have more. Y'all having a rough year, though, so y'all, not everybody, <laughs> not everybody's, a year ago, everybody's a Clemson fan, but we, we were headed to Clemson. Now, I'm, I'm at Charleston Southern now, I'm, and you know Charleston Southern, mid-major school, like, we, we get to play the bigger schools every now and then, right? We play Georgia, we play, you know, Georgia Tech or Clemson or South Carolina, maybe a couple times throughout the year, but not every game. And so when we do play those teams, it's like the highlight of our year. And so I remember I was a freshman. I think this is our seventh or eighth game in, and I'm starting as a freshman, and I knew, I'm like, man, I got to keep playing well to stay in the starting lineup. I know how it is. Some juniors and seniors are like, man, I got to get my spot back. And so I was playing well, but we're headed to Clemson, and at this time, one of my best friends in the world, his name is Brandon Burris, and I saw Brandon Burris writing a scripture on his wrist. And, guys, I saw this, and for me, I'm saying, man, I thought God was like Santa Claus still. I'm like, if I just read a scripture from my wrist, God's going to give me a couple of hits, right? Y'all ever seen, you know, y'all ever seen, seen Tim Tebow with the Philippians 4.13? I'm like, man, that's where he gets all his power from. I'm like, I just write a couple of scriptures from my wrist, I'm going to get a couple of hits. That was my reasoning behind it. And so I opened up my phone, my Bible app, and I remember my mom always telling me as a kid, hey, read the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom in that, a lot of discernment in that, Chris. And so for me, I, I started scrolling through Proverbs, and there was one that stopped me in my tracks. Proverbs 24.10, and it said, if a man falters in the day of adversity, he's a man of little strength. Again, it, one, one translation asks the question, it says, if a man falters in the day of adversity, how small is his strength? And I said, oh, man, this is, this is made just for me. I said, this is perfect for me. This is perfect for baseball. Because there's so much adversity in baseball. And so what I did was I wrote that scripture on my wrist. I wrote it on my glove. 
I wrote it on my bat, wrote it on my helmet, I wrote it everywhere, because I'm so silly, I was like, I, I want to make sure God sees it, that's what I was saying. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's, that was what I was saying, right? And I played that game, and I prayed, I said, God, I know how it works, Lord, you give me the strength, you give me the wisdom to have a great game, I'll give you all the glory, you know, it's not me, it's all you. We played that game, and I had the uh, best game of my life, I had four hits, I had uh, two RBIs to win the game, I had a diving catch, right? Uh, to end it all, I had a diving catch, and there was this fan that was talking crazy to me the whole game. And I tipped my cap to him as like a signal, like a sign-off. We beat Clemson for the first time in school history. And I'll never forget, after the game, all the reporters were asking me, hey, you know, Chris, fantastic game. Like, how did this happen? All these questions they were asking me. I said, you know what? I know one thing's for certain. God is definitely real, right? Because everything that I prayed for, I got that day. Every single thing. And I remember... Throughout the whole season, my mom was one of those, uh, you know, Facebook proud bombs. I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Every time I had a good game, she was posting my stats and talking, did y'all see my baby last night, right? That, that, that kind of mom. And there was so much pride that I had when I was playing that season. And you know what I did? I was superstitious. Now, uh, if you ever play baseball, you know what I mean. But I was just weird about stuff, right? If I had a good game, I will make sure I didn't touch my back till the next game, right? I was making sure it stayed there, get some of that mojo to run off on the next game, right? I would do weird things, okay? So what I did was I wrote that same scripture on my glove, on my bat, on my helmet every game that season. And I think as a young man, I thought that I was given that scripture for my sport. And I realized about three months later why God placed that scripture in my life. And that day was June 17, 2015, what I call the unthinkable, right? The stuff we see on TV, we see it happen in newspapers, we see it pop up on our phone, but we never think of what happened to us. I saw it yesterday when I saw a kid open fire in a school in Michigan. While we see stuff like that happen, we never, but we never think it will happen to us or our, our kids until it does. I was 18, I finished a baseball game uh, playing at Collins Park with Coach Kenny Wilkinson. Me and him are like this right now. And I remember I got back home and uh, I saw my mom was calling, calling me on my phone. Now, the way that I was raised, guys, if my mother was calling me, it means I had two rings to pick it up, right? I better pick it up quick because she's going to tell me about myself if I don't pick it up. But I did, and the other lady, she wasn't my mom. You know, she was screaming, she was yelling, she was frantic, and finally she told me to come down to my church. And uh, long story short, you know, they put me in this big open room. People are screaming, crying, praying, all the above. And, and when all this is happening, the, the thing that kept running through the back of my mind was that scripture, Proverbs 24.10. If I falter in the day of adversity, how small is my strength? You see, that scripture was given to me when I had to tell my 12-year-old brother Caleb and my 15-year-old little sister Cameron that mom was gone forever. Right when I had to explain that she was taken away because of the color of her skin. And for me, it wasn't about, you know, saying I'm a believer. It was actually God being in my heart at that time when I needed him most. And the reason I kept thinking that the scripture was given to me for baseball is because I had the best game of my life that day. And God knew if I didn't have that good game, maybe I wouldn't have remembered keep writing that scripture on my wrist every game after that. He knew my heart. And it was given to me for that day. And, and, and guys, I'm going to be honest. Right now, as a young man, I think I've always heard this term. Even when I go speak to different 
uh, teams or companies they always talk about their mission statement or they'll say, uh, you know, what's your why? Anybody ever heard that? Find your why or what's your why behind what you do, why you do what you do? And I would see stuff like this. And for me, I didn't I didn't agree with it because I think we all have the same why. I think we do. If I line up every single man in here and I say, hey, do you want to provide for your family? Want to take your kids to Disney, your kids to, you know, your grandkids on a Disney cruise, right? You, everybody would say, you know what? I want to provide for my family, right? Everybody's going to say, your why? What's your why? Oh, my family. Everybody's saying that, right? Or if I ask you, hey, do you want to make the world a better place? I think most good-hearted human beings would say, I do want to make the world a better place. And so I think we all have the, quote, the same quote-unquote why. But you know what's different? What's different is something called a struggle moment. You see, when I go to a team now, I don't ask them their why or their mission statement because that's too broad. If I say my family, you say your family, what's the difference? But for me, I have something called a struggle moment. Mine is five numbers. I'm going to share it real quick. My struggle moment, the reason why I wake up out of bed, the reason why I can be on the road 160 days a year, come home and still serve my hometown and still serve my family, be the best dad, best husband I could be, is five numbers. It's one, 70, 50, Nine and one. There was one person that was misled and misinformed to hate people that look like me. And what this one person did was he walked in my church and fired over 70 bullets. And while people were holding hands and praying in my church, over 50 of those entered bodies. And his man took nine lives, and one of those lives happened to be my mom. My everything. And so now when we're talking about our lives and being the best men that we can be, the best, uh, the best salt, the best light that we can be. If we just say our why, what, what, what differentiates us? What is our struggle moment? You see, my struggle moment pushes me forward every single day. Because if I say my family, you're probably thinking the same thing. But when I share my struggle moment, you'll understand why I'll never quit on this mission of bringing people together. Of all different backgrounds, all the different skin colors, all different first languages. You understand when I share my struggle moment. But if I just say my why, maybe you don't. But I haven't always had this uh, clear outlook on my faith and in my life. Like I remember uh, there were certain things I would, I would see. I started my, my journey of having a personal relationship after my mother was killed. Uh, you know, a, a day after my mom was killed, I remember going out to a press conference at my uh, university. People were asking me a bus- bunch of qu- questions, and I remember... Finally, John Davis, Pastor John Davis at uh, Charleston Southern, he said, well, Chris, let's just pray. I think God's going to speak through you. And I remember that day they were asking me questions, and I finally said, you know what? I forgive my mother's killer. And I said, love is stronger than hate. So if we just love the way my mom would, the hate won't be anywhere close to where love is. And I said that, and if you would ask me a year before my mom was killed, hey, would you forgive your mother's killer? I would have said there's no way in the world. But it's funny how God works in our lives. And I know for a fact it wasn't me who shared those words, love is stronger than hate. It was God using me in that time. You see, I describe it as sometimes you, you ever been driving home, right, and you've just been on autopilot. You don't know what light was red. You don't know what stop sign you went through. You might have rolled through it. You, didn't, you were just on autopilot, right? That's how I describe that for me in my life. And after I forgave my mother's killer, I was given strength. But I would read my Bible, and, I'm a, and there were some things I didn't understand. And that's why I think we were talking about how, how important pastors are. Uh, one of my pastors, you know, he told me, Chris, since you're on the road so much, sit down with your wife and figure out how many days she's okay with you being gone. Right? And so 
I would always go to my pastor for certain things. So there's one scripture I want to share because I didn't understand this. And maybe you're going to hear it. You're not going to understand it either. But the scripture says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Again, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That's James chapter one, verse two and three. And I said, I'm supposed to consider this pure joy. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm supposed to consider what I'm going through pure joy. I didn't understand it. So I went to my pastor. He said, man, Chris, if I had a dollar for every time somebody brought that scripture to me, man. There's another one that I didn't understand. I'll share it with you. Romans five, three through five. It says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and the endurance produces character and character produces hope. So first, I'm supposed to consider it pure joy. Now I'm supposed to rejoice in my sufferings. And I brought that to my pastor. I said, hey, you know. I don't I'm I'm trying here, right? I'm trying to live the way that I feel like I've been called to live the way that the good book tells us to live. But how am I supposed to consider pure joy and now rejoice in my sufferings? And I'll never forget the way that it it all made sense for me. I'm going to share. My best friend told me this story. I never forgot it. Uh, And this is why the the scriptures make sense to me. I was watching um, TV and I was watching ESPN. And guys, as. As, a, as an athlete, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I didn't know golf was hard. I didn't know. And so, you know, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't play golf. And I'm like, man, if I can hit a baseball off the tee, surely I can hit a golf ball off the tee, right? And so I never played golf. And we just moved uh, to Kusaw where we live on the golf course now. So I'm starting to learn, but I'm terrible still. Uh, and I remember I was sitting there watching golf. And I'm like, man, we got to change this. And my buddy's like, hold on, Chris, before you change the channel, let me tell you this story about the golf ball. I'm like, what do you mean, story of a golf ball? He said, the history of a golf ball. Let me tell you. I said, go ahead, tell me, man. He said, when they first made the golf ball, it was called a feathery. It's made out of molasses. It was super light and weight, and it was smooth all the way around. And he said, well, what they would do is they would play golf, right, and they would hit it. And he said, whichever way the wind was blowing, the wind was blowing at all, he said, what would happen is they would hit it, and immediately the wind would just take it that way. And I'm thinking, man, you know what? I'm not the best golfer in the world, but I swear that still happens, man. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about it. I know my slices like that, but I don't. He said, no, Chris, you're going to love the story. Just hang on. And so he kept going. He kept telling me the story. He said they put some more substance behind his golf ball. So it was still smooth all the way around, but it was heavier now. He said this time when they hit it, it went a little bit further. But guess what? If the wind was blowing, guess what happened, Chris? I said, I think I know what happened. The wind took it, it, took it just as well. He said, yeah, that's what happened. He said, Chris, it wasn't until we had a golf ball that was beat up, that was bruised, that was scratched, that had rubber bands around it. They actually experimented with this one. And he said, for the first time, they hit it, and it was able to cut through the wind. He said, Chris, I think you're like that golf ball, man. You lost both your parents. You're trying to take care of teenagers as a teenager. You know, you're trying to figure out. I didn't even, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't even know car insurance was mandatory. I didn't know. I'm driving around without car insurance. I didn't know, right? And all these things are happening to me. My friend told me this. He said, those are like dents or scratches in your golf ball. And so when I thought about that for the first time, the scriptures, they made sense to me. Consider it pure joy because now when when I'm faced with a trial, when I'm faced with tribulations, when I'm faced with obstacles, opposition, adversity, I keep thinking, that's another scratch in my golf ball. That's another dent. That's another rubber band. Because as a believer, I feel like when God has pulled me through something before, Man, I know, he's, I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
Because if you've ever gone through something and you've been through it and you've gotten through it, you're going to know how to get through something in the future. That's where endurance takes place. Because sometimes I see people and I'm driving on the highway and I, I see somebody with a nail in their tire and they, and they look like it's the end of the world. I'm like, man, if that's the end of the world for them, my goodness, they're living in a sweet world. Right? But I, but I understand because now I have the endurance from being faced with what I've been faced with in my life. Now I have the, now I can rejoice. Now I don't wake up in the morning and say adversity come punch me in the face. Absolutely not. But when it does, I keep saying to myself, this is going to make me stronger. It's going to make me better. It's going to make me a better believer, a better man. Now there's one last thing uh, I want to share with you all. And uh, this is a quote by Jackie Robinson. Now I, I share this every single time that I speak because, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, Jackie Robinson is one of my heroes, right? The black baseball player, I ain't got no choice. He's one of my heroes, right? But the reason why I love this quote is not just because Jackie Robinson said it. Uh, I've got a couple heroes in my life, but uh, one of my heroes that I never want his name to die out after time goes on, his name is Taiwanza Sanders. So Taiwanza was 26 uh, when he was taken away. He was taken away the same day that my mother was taken away by the same guy that didn't have one of us to teach him differently, Right? The same guy that walked into my church with eight magazines of bullets like he was going to war. And he's in my church and he's firing bullets. And I remember in hearing this from his mom and from other sources and reading about it that Taiwanza had been shot. But he, went, he didn't pass away. He had been shot, but he, he actually stood up. And he stood up and he looks at the killer and he starts pleading with him. He starts pleading. He says, you know, we mean you no harm. We mean you no harm. You don't have to do this. And a guy that didn't have one of us to teach him differently, didn't have one of us to love him and, and tell him that, you know what, it doesn't matter where I'm from or what I look like or what my first language is. I didn't choose those things. This guy, he looked at Taiwanza. He said some more words. He said, yeah, I do. And he pulled the trigger and he took Taiwanza's life. The reason why I say Taiwanza is a hero is because not even 15 yards away from him, he had his little cousin who was 11 years old hiding under a table. Not even 20 yards away from me, he had his mom, Miss Felicia Sanders, the same lady that called me from my mother's phone, who was a survivor of that night, hiding under a table. Both of them are still living because of Taiwanza, standing up and being a hero. And Taiwanza posted this quote from Jackie Robinson the same day he was murdered, the same exact day. Now, sometimes I, I go share this, and I'm like, man, this is not a coincidence, right? As a man of faith, I just think some things are not coincidences. But some people, oh, it might have been a coincidence. I don't think it was. The same day he was murdered, he posted this from Jackie Robinson, and the quote is, one life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Again, one life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. So hopefully today with my, my time, I've made an impact in your life. You guys go out and be the men that you're called to be. Uh, you do like the book of Matthew tells us to, we be the, the light and the salt, and we be the change that we want to see in this world. If you guys do that, you help me in my mission of bringing people closer together. It'll make a huge impact on me in my life. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys.
Thank you so much, Chris, for being here with us today, for sacrificing your time and sharing that powerful testimony with us. Um, just want to remind you all again, chrissingleton.com. There are a lot of great resources there. Uh, and also remember, January 12th will be our next luncheon. And uh, there will be, if anyone is interested in having somebody pray with you afterwards, uh, just go down to the hall to the youth room. Uh, there will be some folks who can pray with you there. So as we close, um, let me say a prayer for Chris and his ministry, and then we'll have a blessing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your servant, Chris Chris Singleton. Lord, we pray that you would bless him. We pray your blessing on his family and his ministry. Lord, we thank you that you have called him to go and to share your word uh, with a wide variety of people and through a lot of doors that um, are open for him. And, Lord, we pray that as he pursues your call, that you would send the anointing of your Holy Spirit on him. We pray that you would bless him, that you would keep him safe, and that as he lives out this life that you have given him, that he would touch the lives of many for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for him. We pray that you would help us to reflect on what he has shared with us today and that you would use that to draw us closer to you. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you.